At this point in our journey through Scripture, I'll have to say that I feel quite excited each week to lead us as the tour guide on this journey. And at the same time, I feel quite overwhelmed with all that there is, the complexity and the mystery of this journey through Scripture. Welcome again to Journey Through Scripture. We're taking one book of the Bible each week, and we're uh, this week in the book of 1 Samuel. And as we look at that book, I want to give a narrative summary and as well give a sample passage to that book. So as you're joining us in this journey through Scripture, I, I invite you to ask some reflective questions as you're reading your way, feeling your way, thinking your way, living your way through Scripture. Some of the questions that I've been asking myself is, who is this God of the Scriptures? Who is this God and King? What is He like? What do these scriptures teach me about myself? What do the scriptures teach me about the world that I live in? And another one of the questions is, uh, what, what, am I, what happens to me and what happens to us when we think we know better than God? When we think we're smarter than God? We think our way is better than God's way. And that's ultimately what sin is, is when we decide that we're smarter, our way is better and let me get us right into that story here in the book of First Samuel. A narrative summary for us, first of all. The setting of First Samuel is it's around 1000 BC. It's happening in Israel. And this is a dark time, in a very dark time in Israel's history. You remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at a book called Judges. And this is an incredibly dark time, the dark, the dark times there of the book of Judges, and it's set here, 1 Samuel is set in Israel during this transition period, right? They're transitioning from being a group of tribes that are ruled or governed by judges, they're transitioning from that to being a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. So it is, uh, Israel is transitioning. That was, is what's happening in the book of 1 Samuel. And so 1 and 2 Samuel, as it appears in your modern day Bibles, uh, that, that, that is, uh, it's separated there into two books uh, because there's a division that's due to scroll length. So back in its uh, original context there, the, both of those were written together as one coherent story. It would have just been Samuel, not 1st and 2nd Samuel. But there in our modern versions of the Bible, we have 1st and 2nd Samuel. But it's to be read as a coherent story. Today we're focusing on 1st Samuel, and of course next week it'll be 2nd Samuel. The main characters, the four, four main characters here in the book of 1st Samuel, Hannah, Samuel, Saul, and David. First of all, Hannah. Hannah is this barren Israelite woman, and yet she won't go down in history as a barren woman. God does what seems impossible. God ends up blessing her, and she becomes a mother. It's a beautiful story. Hannah, her name actually means God's grace. 
God's favor, God's gift to the world. It's a beautiful name. She's also a prophetess, and in our sample passage today, we're going to be looking at her prayer. And her prayer is quite prophetic, which we're going to see here moments from now. The next main character is that of Samuel. This is Hannah's son. So when God blesses her womb, opens up Hannah's womb, and allows her to conceive, she then gives birth to a son, and his name is Samuel. Samuel basically is the last judge over Israel. Right, so during that period uh, called Judges, that dark period, this is also happening during that same period. And so Hannah's son, Samuel, is the last judge over Israel. And he's also the first prophet of Israel. He's both. And so he's giving guidance to Israel, learning what it means to be a prophet. And we, as the reader, we begin to learn what it means to be one of God's prophets. What does it mean to hear God's voice? What does it mean to represent God to the people and speak God's words to the people? We also see that that Samuel is a kingmaker. He's a kingmaker in the history of ancient Israel. He establishes the monarchy Uh, in Israel by anointing King Saul as the first king and King David as the second king. Well, the third major character is Saul, and we just said that he was the first king of Israel. He's deeply arrogant, however. He's deeply flawed, deeply prideful. This is quite a flawed character. And then David, the fourth major character, he's the second king of Israel. He, too, is flawed, yet... He's humble, and he's repentant. He has a repentant heart. So Samuel's literary design is is that it introduces the the prophet Samuel, and then it's going to trace the rise and fall of King Saul in contrast to the rise of King David. Now, the author is unknown. Well, you would think with the book title named Samuel, isn't Samuel the author? Well, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 25, it records the death of Samuel. So if Samuel is uh, an author, he might be one of the authors. There could be other authors. We just don't know who it is. But Samuel himself could not have written most of Samuel because his death is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 25. The major, some of the major themes of this book. Number one is God's kingship. So it's tempting to think about. Uh, it's tempting to, to to think about the biographies of these two kings, Saul and David, when you read Samuel, and to think that the book of Samuel is all about just these two kings, contrasting Saul, who's a flawed character, and David, who's not as flawed. But really, um, that, that's not the appropriate way to, uh, to see the major theme in the book of Samuel, but it's God's kingship. These two kings, Saul and David, are both flawed. And both of those kings are to be contrasted with the unflawed king, God. Only God is holy. Hope is not going to be found in a human king. There's no human king that's going to give us ultimate hope. 
hope is only going to be found in the, 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 the in God the King, the righteous, unflawed King. Second major theme is that of God's providential guidance. God is throughout history the Lord of history. Uh, Though often not recognized by God's human agents, God's timing is always perfect. And the saving plan of God is fulfilled in the ongoing day-by-day lives and even decisions that human beings are making. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 there in the New Testament summarizes it quite well by saying, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to God's purpose. The third major theme in the book of 1 Samuel is God's sovereign will and power. So as Hannah phrases it in 1 Samuel chapter 2, God is the all-knowing God. God knows everything. He knows all motives. He sees all things. And so God's ways and decisions are always right and always just. And simultaneously, God is merciful and God is gracious to sinful human beings. Well, there's our narrative summary for 1 Samuel. And I've chosen as our sampler passage 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is Hannah's psalm. Some people refer to this as Hannah's psalm or Hannah's prayer. It's a song of praise that Hannah is giving, and there's, there's prophetic and messianic importance here in this prayer that she prays. And it causes us to ask these questions when we look at this prayer together today. What do I learn about this God, the King? What am I learning about this God and King? How is it that that He works? And what do I learn about myself? And what happens to me when I think that I know better than God? Or that my way is smarter than God? See, sin, sin, uh, human's sin is always thinking, I know better than God. I'm smarter than God. Thinking my way is better. So Hannah's prayer helps us see three major attributes of God. Let me name these three attributes of God, and then we'll look at these three attributes as we see here in her prayer. The first major attribute is that God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. The second major attribute is that despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out His purposes in history. And the the third major attribute of God that we're going to see here in Hannah's prayer is that God will raise up an anointed messianic king for His people. He's promised to do it. And He indeed will do what He's promised to do. Well, let's read this This prayer found here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. 
My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Wow, what a beautiful, powerful psalm. A song of praise that we find here may sound a lot like Mary's Magnificat found there in the New Testament. Well, let's start with our first major attribute that Hannah is helping us see here. And that is that God opposes the proud but exalts the humble. Hannah prays in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I invite you to go back and read the entire book. It's about a two and a half hour read compared to last week's book of the Bible that we looked at, Ruth, that was about a 15-minute read. Well, go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you read this, you'll also see Hannah praying there in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And as she's praying to the Lord, she's, she's weeping. She, she, she's grieving, and, and, and she's doing so because she's barren. And she's crying out to the Lord. That's what humility really is. It's in your pain, seeking the Lord. In your need for provision, asking God for help. And not claiming that you know the answer or that you have it figured out. Or that you're just going to pull yourself together and figure it all out. That's what humility is. It's going to God for comfort when we're in pain. Going to God when we're in need. And asking God, praying to God. This is also, this is also a great thing to follow Hannah doing here. She's praying for children. Right, so this is a word for you that if, you're, uh, if you are parents, you should be praying for your children. If you're grandparents, you should be praying for your children and your grandchildren. Pray before they're born. That's what Hannah is teaching us. Dedicate them to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. They actually already exist to the Lord. Children are God's gift. 
But a prayer like Hannah's there in the first chapter is she's dedicating this child to the Lord before he's even ever born. That's what humility looks like. It's praying for them after they're born. It's praying for your children even when they're adults. Yes, we adult children still need the prayers of our parents. Well, there's several famous barren women in the Bible. As I thought about that this week in looking at this barren woman here, Hannah, I started thinking about other famous barren women in the Bible. And maybe you'll remember them with me now as we think about this together. But I was thinking about Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Yeah, the wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow, those are the patriarchs of our faith. And their wives were barren until until God did the miraculous. God did what seemed impossible. Hannah is in the same group. There's barrenness, and yet with God, all things are possible. Now, Hannah named her son Samuel, and that is because, it means because I asked him of the Lord. That's humility. She's giving credit to God who is the hero of her own story and the story of all of humanity. Well, this in no way is some sort of guarantee of God answering our prayers in the exact way that we pray it. There have been countless people, countless women that have been barren and have asked God for children and God hasn't answered and that's very painful. We grieve with them. And yet God has a divine and mysterious purpose and purposes and plans for the way that God answers our prayers. It's quite complex, quite mysterious. And so notice with me though, in humility, Hannah is exalted. In humility, God exalts Hannah. In the passage that we read today, that prayer here in chapter 2, verse 1, look at it with me again. Look at verse 1. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. What in the world is she talking about when she says her horn? Does she mean she's raising her like a, like a trumpet? and She's going she's gonna to blow that real loudly because the son is born? No. The word horn here means her strength. Her strength. God is exalting her. She's being renewed in her strength. She says, I delight in your deliverance. Here's here's an application for me and you as we pray. It's wonderful to keep memory of what what you've prayed so that we can do as Hannah is doing here. You, You can actually give a praise back to God. It's good to remember significant answers to prayers. Keep a journal of those answered prayers. It renews your strength to call that to mind, to see how God's answered those prayers. Verse 2 here, this part of her prayer, she says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Here's more lessons in humility from Hannah, this dear woman. 
this, this prophetic prayer. Here's more lessons in humility. Verse 3, she says, For the Lord is a God who knows. And by that she means God knows all things. And by Him deeds are weighed. What is it that you're learning about God, the King, as you go through this journey through Scripture? What is it that you're learning about yourself as you go through journey through Scripture? What is it that you're learning about the world? And what happens to me and what happens to you when you and I think that we know better than God, that our way may be smarter than God? See, that's what sin is always tempting us and telling us is that we really don't need God. We can really figure this out on our own. Look at verse 5 with me, another here, sort of a mysterious uh, set of words here by, by Hannah. Verse 5, Hannah prays, She who is barren has borne seven children. Well, wait a minute. Hannah doesn't have seven children. Well, she's actually using, scholars think she's using the word seven, as a number of completeness. Hannah actually did have six children. Right, you, you may not know that about Hannah, but she has her first child. His name is Samuel. And as you keep reading through the book of Samuel, Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived three more sons and two daughters. Wow! Hannah ends up having six children. Now, outside of 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, Hannah is not even mentioned in the Bible, elsewhere in the Bible. She's not even mentioned. Yet there's so much here that we're learning about her humility. And that is that Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they're going to experience this God's covenanting blessing. God is faithful. God is full of love, but if Israel is going to experience God's love, if Israel is going to enjoy an abundant life, they're going to need to humble themselves. They're going to need to rely on this God. And that's the message for you and for me. Now Samuel uh, grows up becoming a, a great prophet and, and a great leader, yet, yet we continue to see more and more of the Israelites' arrogance and pride. And remember, God opposes the proud, but God exalts the humble. If you keep following there in the book of Samuel and follow the story, you get to chapter 8, and for Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites come to Samuel because he's their prophet. Remember, he's the last judge over Israel, and he's the first prophet over uh, Israel, and he's going to be the kingmaker. He's going to help lead Israel into having a monarchy. Well, they come to Samuel, and they say, give us a king. They, in fact, they demand a king. They say in chapter 8, give us a king like all the other nations. We want a king. We want to be just like them. Go and find us one. So Samuel is actually ticked off about this, and he consults God about it. And that right there already gives us um, a clue about what it means to be a prophet. A prophet is in continual conversation with God. 
A prophet discerns things about situations and about people and then goes before God and speaks to God about it, prays to God, and God speaks to the prophet. Well, Samuel's ticked off about this and he consults God and God says, hey, the the Israelites are not rejecting you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, They have been forsaking me and serving other gods. Give the people what they ask for, yet warn them of the ways of the king that will rule over them. Very, very interesting how God leads Samuel here. God is aware that these very people have rejected God as king, but yet he tells Samuel, give them what they want. They're bent, hell-bent, on having their own way, so give it to them. So we're introduced to Israel's first king, Saul. First king, Saul. Saul is a tragic character that gets introduced to us. He, he begins full of promise. He's tall. He's handsome. Perfect candidate for a king, it looks like, on the outward appearance. But he has deep character flaws. He's dishonest. He lacks integrity and utterly seems incapable of admitting mistakes. And these flaws become his downfall, and eventually he disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so Saul is prideful. God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. God is not central in the life and in the heart of Saul. That's the major character flaw of Saul, is God isn't central. So Saul's downfall begins, and it is very tragic. You should go back and read about this character. And the author of the book of Samuel is putting these characters forward as character studies. The author of Samuel is placing these characters there, flawed, in particular the character of Saul, so that we find ourselves in the story. You need to find yourself in the story. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. There's a warning. It's important for us to reflect on our character flaws. It's important for us to reflect on our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become your story. So that we see our own character flaws and how they harm us and how our character flaws harm other people around us. And so this aging prophet called Samuel, Samuel confronts Saul. He goes and he confronts, and that's another role of the prophet, is that he would confront, or she, the prophetess, would confront. So, So Samuel confronts Saul and Israel, saying God opposes pride, not only among the Philistines, Not only among these pagan nations who are arrogant, but God opposes pride among his own people. And so Samuel had warned them that they would only benefit from a king who is humble. See, they needed a king. That's what the book of Judges helped us discover, is that they needed a king. Yet this book of Samuel is helping them realize as Samuel's warning them, they're only going to benefit from a king who's humble. 
Yeah, you need a king, but you need a certain type of king. You need a humble king, a, a king who's faithful to God. Otherwise, these king of Israel are going to bring ruin. They're going to bring more chaos and destruction into Israel, into Israel's kingdom and story. And so Samuel tells Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And that brings us to this second point here, is that despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And as God is working behind the scenes to raise up the new king, it's an insignificant shepherd boy named David who ends up becoming king. He's the least likely candidate to be king. So David becomes the second king of Israel. And let's watch how this unfolds. 1 Samuel chapter 16, God speaks to the prophet Samuel again. And he tells Samuel, I have rejected Saul being king over Israel. Go to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. Go there. That's where you're going to find the new king that I'm going to anoint. Well, Samuel says back to God, how can I go? If, if I go there and do that, and Saul, if Saul hears about it, Saul's going to kill me. Uh, in the end, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He goes there and he speaks with Jesse, and Jesse brings out uh, seven sons before Samuel. And with each one, of those sons that Jesse brings out before Samuel, Samuel is listening to God. God is speaking to Samuel as each one of those seven sons comes out and the Lord says to Samuel, the Lord has not chosen this one. The Lord has not chosen this one. And it keeps going on and on. And there's a famous verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on their outward appearance or on the height of stature. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow, what a tremendous, powerful lesson God is beginning to teach us through this prophet Samuel about leadership. <laughs> it's not about outward appearance. It's about the heart. That's what God is looking at. Well, then Samuel asked Jesse, um, are, are all of your sons here? Is this it? And Jesse said, well, there's actually one other son. It's my youngest son, but he's out shepherding the sheep. And Samuel said, go get him. And when he arrived, the Lord said to Samuel, anoint him. He's the one. He's the one. It was David who outwardly didn't look like a strong king or even a candidate. And so when David was anointed king, it says here in 1 Samuel that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. He was powerful. He was strong because the spirit of the Lord, God's very presence, was with David. That's where his strength came from, his wisdom, his abilities to lead came from. 
There's a famous story of David and Goliath that happens here in the book of 1 Samuel. And it shows God's choice is God's choice of this uh, king, King David, is not based on his family status, but on David's radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. David is humble. 1 Samuel chapter 17, David ends up saying to this Goliath, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. The Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. You hear the humility, yet confidence, of, of, of young King David. His strength, his hope, his power is in the Lord. Not in his own appearance, not in his own strength. Look again at Hannah's prayer, Hannah's psalm here. It's quite prophetic. Verse 9 and 10 of our passage today, Hannah prays, The Lord will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. See, proud Saul and Goliath were brought low. They they were incredibly arrogant and prideful, and so they were humbled. And David, who is humbled, he is exalted. So Saul descends into utter madness as David begins to rise in power, and Saul ends up getting jealous. Saul ends up getting jealous uh, of of David, and he, he ends up hunting David. He wants to kill David. Now, David's done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve this sort of hunt. And so David then retreats and runs to the wilderness for his own protection, and he waits there. So David's story is a story of patience. It's a story teaching us what, you know, to trust in God's timing in our lives amidst pressure, amidst suffering. And amidst being confused about what is even going on. And so running from Saul into the wilderness, David knew that God was not abandoning him. He trusted God. And despite human evil, God is working out his purposes. You know, it's from this book, 1 Samuel here, that we get that we get the book of Psalms, right? First Samuel, where we meet this character, uh, King David. I mean, think about the Psalms. I mean, many of those Psalms that are, are, are written there for us are, are, are being written during this period of David's life. When he's running there into the wilderness, when Saul is, is hunting for him to kill him. I mean, we end up seeing David's true character come out in these psalms and here in 1 Samuel. That while David has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, right, kill before be killed, instead of adopting that as his philosophy, David doesn't try to kill Saul. He doesn't kill Saul. Saul, rather, ends up dying in the battle with the Philistines. He ends up falling on his own sword. What a tragic death. 
David trusts God. That despite human evil, God is working out his purposes. And God's going to raise up a king for his people. That's the third point and major attribute that we see here from Hannah's prayer. God will raise up an anointed messianic king for his people. And you ask, I ask at this point too, did David, did King David know that there would be another king, this truly anointed messianic king? Did David know of the coming Messiah? The truly anointed king of kings? Well, there are some psalms that are known as messianic psalms. They clearly point to a future Messiah, a future king that would come and who would be perfect. So yes, David knew of that. And in those messianic psalms, David prays as he's praying to the Lord and trust in God. David is assured that God will provide this perfect anointed king. Now when Hannah prays this, Israel had no king. Think about that. Think about how prophetic her prayer really is. I mean, she lived in the time of the judges. They're transitioning from the period of the judges to a monarchy. But when she prays that Israel has no king, so her prayer is quite prophetic, looking forward to a time when God is going to be faithful and that a king would rule the nation. Verse 6 here in her prayer She prays, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. I wonder if that's some prophetic pointing even towards the resurrection of Christ. It's this king, this God, God God is able to bring down to the grave, but God also is able to raise up. He's that powerful. And the last line of Hannah's prayer is remarkable. Verse 10, she prays, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Or lift up the strength of his anointed. Hannah's reference to God's anointed is a clear messianic prophecy. But the prediction that God would exalt the horn, increase the strength of the anointed king was fulfilled in part in the reigns of David and Solomon. But the ultimate, the ultimate anointed one, the Messiah would eventually come. His name would be Jesus. And by the way, Christ, a lot of people think Jesus Christ, Christ being the last name of Jesus. You know, Jesus is his first name, so Christ is his last name. Well, that's not exactly how it goes. Jesus is his name, but Christ is a title given to Jesus. It means anointed one. It means Lord. It means king. He's going to be king above all kings. Now, next week, we're going to look at 2 Samuel. We're going to learn more about David's story as we look at 2 Samuel. David's David's going to rise in power, and he's also going to have a tragic failure. 
There's going to be a slow self-destruction of his family and of his kingdom. And what we're going to learn again there in 2 Samuel is that hope is not found in a human king. All human kings are flawed. Hope is only found in God the king. The unflawed king. Israel needs a king. But they need more than a human king. We need a king. But we need more than a human king. Every human king will be flawed. Only God is a king that that will never, ever fail. God, therefore, is the king of kings and is the hero of this story. In conclusion, Hannah's psalm here in 1 Samuel chapter 2 overlaps with Psalm 113. Psalm 113 reads, Who is like the Lord our God? God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to them to sit with princes. And then Psalm 113 says, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for King Jesus who fulfills this prophetic prayer of Hannah. This King Jesus who would die for us but also rise victoriously. Give us humility. Help us learn to follow and to trust you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. You, Jesus, the King of all kings. Amen.